love, hope, peace, and joy. There may be more somewhere, but there's plenty here right now. So thank you all for welcoming one another and welcoming me yet again. It is truly a pleasure to be back here at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Buffalo. I feel great kinship with all of you and fellowship with all of you. I am grateful to be in your midst. So you've been talking about resilience this month, right? All right. I'm not going to talk about that. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I am going to talk about a central theme in my approach to the world, which I derive from a whole lot of Jewish sources, which is uh, we are in the wilderness, and that's okay. That's where we're meant to be. So I'm going to start with a story from a teacher, a wonderful teacher, Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, and he tells a story of him going to Montana for the first time. So he says, the first time my wife Karen and I were up in the mountains of Montana, we were awed and even a little frightened by the scale and power of the wilderness. Whether buildings or bridges or even hiking trails, the creations of human beings seemed, by comparison, precariously inadequate hopelessly finite, fragile. Back east, nature must be preserved and revered. High in the Rockies, it was the opposite. Here, we had to be wary of nature, lest in a blind moment she consume us all. Everywhere, signs warned of bears. They can run and swim and climb faster than any human being, and they have been known to attack without provocation. Stories circulated about an unwary hiker just a few months ago who... Karen and I drove up to the end of the road at Two Medicine Lake, where there is a log cabin, a general store, and a little boat which can ferry you to the trailhead on the far shore. Inside, watching hummingbirds dart to and fro around a feeder, having a cup of coffee, I met Charlie Slocum, a retired biology teacher from Minnesota who spends his summers working for the National Park Service. In the pristine Eden air, I understood why he had returned now for a score of summers, but I was more than casually concerned about being eaten by a grizzly. Get many bears up here, do you? I asked. Sometimes we get quite a few. How about on that easy trail around the lake over there? Any chance of running into any this morning so near the store? He paused long enough to hear the question behind the question and took a slow sip of his coffee. If I could tell you for sure there wouldn't be any bears, it wouldn't be a wilderness, now would it? (laughs) I thanked him for his candor and we went on our hike. Maybe that is all it ever comes down to. You can walk where things are predictable or you can enter the wilderness. Without the wilderness, there can be neither reverence nor revelation. There is a Jewish way of the wilderness. Our stories about who we are and what we must do are derived from where we've been and what we say about who we have been and who we want to be. Our story in the regular reading of scripture in a synagogue starts with Genesis and ends with Deuteronomy on an annual cycle. We have 54 weekly readings. If you want to know the math for it, I'll go into it later. Uh, Our main story ends in Deuteronomy. 
It ends before we enter the promised land. Our main rules come out of our experience of the story. The rules are start, start to be given in this month uh, in the book of Exodus. Now, the book of Exodus is not called a book of law, right? No one calls the book of Exodus the book of rules. However, all of the rules that we begin to get in Exodus from our encounter at Mount Sinai come with the caveat. You should not oppress the stranger because you were strangers. You were oppressed in Egypt as slaves. Our story is the source of our ethic. And Jews read this story over and over again, not the same way, but in a constant multi-generational, intergenerational conversation. I am a rabbi in 2020 speaking with all of you here, and our voices are being exchanged back and forth with commentators on scripture from the 1800s, from the 1600s. Today I'm going to talk about somebody from the 10 and 1100s, all the way back through the Midrashic stories which were written down in the 500s and 600s. Our conversation in Judaism is a literary criticism that started before anybody had those words. And it's My wife likes to say that when I moved from being a philosophy student to being a rabbinical student, what I did was exchange which group of dead people I was speaking with. (laughs) And of course, therefore, they are never dead. The Jewish story in scripture is not actually called Jewish. Who are the Jews in scripture? The Jews first in the book of Genesis are the family of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They are Hebrews. In Hebrew, the word Hebrew is rooted in the word to cross, avar, to go over. As Hebrews, we are people who continue to go to places we have not been yet. We, it is, interestingly enough, go a little too far and your crossing becomes a transgression. Same root in Hebrew. So to go beyond is to cross over, to be a Hebrew. We become Israelites, the descendants of Israel. Who was Israel? Israel was Jacob. How did Jacob become Israel? By wrestling with God. We are people who cross over and people who wrestle with God. We are not content to figure things out once. We understand that in each Iteration in each generation, in each retelling, we must come up with something new. This is a Jewish way of reading. And, of course, our story, again, ends on the banks of the Jordan. We are focused on the experience between freedom from Egypt and entrance into the Promised Land. That experience is the wilderness. Our revelation, our encounter with God, our setting up of rules are not for the idealized time when we're all going to get along. They are for the time when we have to figure out how to get along. We live in the middle point. We are traveling between a hard place and we hope a less hard place. And the only way we're going to get there is by working together. Turns out working together is complicated. Uh, 
you just had an appeal to show up and participate in a dream team, which was deliberately phrased as not a committee in which any of you would be responsible for anything. <laughs> right? Did I get that correctly? It is because committee work is hard. Getting out there and making decisions on behalf of our group is difficult. Hoping to include everyone's interests and being fair is difficult. This human society thing isn't easy. We are not a one-and-done species or a one-and-done culture. We need to constantly go back and figure it out. And we have not reached the promised land yet. We didn't reach it in scripture either. Remember, after the Israelites crossed over, in, crossed over the Jordan River and started conquering Canaan, Canaan in English, did it work out so well? No, the story is pretty tragic. We have fits and starts. We have judges and chieftains. We have kings, some who are good, some who are terrible. We have exile. We have destruction. We have rebuilding. We have exile and destruction again. It is not an easy story. We are not there yet. We are still in the wilderness trying to figure it out. So there's a temptation in our lives. The temptation is maybe, just maybe, I hope everyone's okay with that. I hope they get there in time. It's another teaching. Rabbi Joseph Telushkin said, when we have to pull over or be disturbed by sirens, we shouldn't be annoyed, we should be prayerful. We should say, I hope everyone's going to be okay, I hope they get there in time, I hope they can help. Because after all, that's one of those moments when it's not about us. So there is this temptation in life, this hope. We have it in this culture in spades. This idea that at some point we will be done. At some point we can settle. At some point we can retire and we'll have enough money and it'll all be great. This is not a new sentiment. At the opening of, the Gen of Genesis chapter 37, Jacob, who is Israel, uh, these words are, describe his state of mind. Jacob settled in the land where his ancestors dwelled, in the land of Canaan. What comes afterwards, of course, is anything but settled. For those of you who are biblical scholars, you might know that Genesis chapter 37 is just the beginning of the trouble between Joseph and his brothers. It's just the beginning of the trouble between Judah and Tamar and his sons. It's not a settled moment, and Jacob doesn't get to settle. So I mentioned a medieval commentator. This one is named Rashi. Rashi is the quintessential European Jewish commentator on scripture. His questions about scripture are ones that we still debate. His questions about Jewish law are still our clarifying questions. So for European Jews, he was the milestone in many cases. So Rashi, who, lives in, uh, who lived through the First Crusade in 1096 in medieval Rhineland, uh, wrote this commentary. He said, Jacob desired to dwell, to settle in peace, but then the troubles of Joseph sprang upon him. The righteous desire to dwell in peace, God said? Isn't it enough that the righteous have the world to come prepared for them, that they should also seek to dwell in peace in this world? Think about that. 
We all have this hope that we will get to settle, that the promised land is a real place, that it's reachable. And yet the world that we face continues to show us over and over again that incremental improvements, the hard work of building relationships, dare I say it, the work of being on a committee. These are both the means and the goals. We are still in the wilderness, and we have a lot of work to do. In the words of another Jewish scholar, Michael Walzer, standing on the parted shores of history, we still believe what we were taught before ever we stood at Sinai's foot, that wherever we go, it is eternally Egypt, that there is a better place, a promised land, that the winding way to that promise passes through the wilderness, that there is no way to get from here to there except by joining hands and marching together.